Part four of the History of the Caliph Bathek by William Beckford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. By secret stairs, known only to herself and to her son, she first repaired to the mysterious recesses in which were deposited the mummies that had been brought from the catacombs of the ancient pharaohs. Of these she ordered several to be taken. From thence she resorted to a gallery where, under the guard of fifty female negroes, mute and blind of the right eye, were preserved the oil of the most venomous serpents, rhinoceroses' horns, and woods of a subtle and penetrating odour procured from the interior of the Indies, together with a thousand other horrible rarities. This collection had been formed for a purpose like the present by Carathis herself, from a presentment that she might one day enjoy some intercourse with the infernal powers to whom she had ever been passionately attached, and to whose taste she was no stranger. To familiarise herself the better with the horrors in view, the princess remained in the company of her negresses, who squinted in the most amiable manner from the only eye they had, and leered with exquisite delight at the skulls and skeletons which Carathis had drawn forth from her cabinets whose key she entrusted to no one, all of them making contortions and uttering a frightful jargon, but very amusing to the princess, till at last, being stunned by their gibbering and suffocated by the potency of their exhalations, she was forced to quit the gallery after stripping it of a part of its treasures. Whilst she was thus occupied, the caliph, who instead of the visions he expected, had acquired in these insubstantial regions a voracious appetite, was greatly provoked at the negresses, for having totally forgotten their deafness, he had impatiently asked them for food, and seeing them regardless of his demand, he began to cuff, pinch, and push them, till Carathis arrived to terminate the scene so indecent, to the great content of these miserable creatures who, having been brought up by her, understood all her signs and communicated in the same way their thoughts in return son what means all this said she panting for breath i thought i heard as i came up the shrieks of a thousand bats tearing from their crannies in the recesses of a cavern and it was the outcry only of these poor mutes whom you were so unmercifully abusing in truth you but ill deserve the admirable provision i have brought you "'Give it me instantly!' exclaimed the caliph. "'I am perishing for hunger!' "'As to that,' answered she, "'you must have an excellent stomach "'if it can digest what I have been preparing.' "'Be quick,' replied the caliph. "'But, oh heavens, what horrors! "'What do you intend?' "'Come, come,' returned Carathis. "'Be not so squeamish, "'but help me to arrange everything properly.' and you shall see that what you reject with such symptoms of disgust will soon complete your felicity. Let us get ready the pile for the sacrifice of to-night, and think not of eating till that is performed. Know you not that all solemn rites are preceded by a rigorous abstinence? The caliph, not daring to object, abandoned himself to grief and the wind that ravaged his entrails whilst his mother went forward with the requisite operations. Files of serpent's oil, mummies, and bones were soon set in order on the balustrade of the towers. The pile began to rise, and in three hours was many cubits high. 
At length the darkness approached, and Carathis, having stripped herself to her inmost garment, clapped her hands in an impulse of ecstasy and struck light with all her force. The mutes followed her example, but Vathek, extenuated with hunger and impatience, was unable to support himself, and fell down in a swoon. The sparks had already kindled the dry wood. The venomous oil burst into a thousand blue flames. The mummies dissolving emitted a thick dun vapour, and the rhinoceros's horns beginning to consume, all together diffused such a stench that the caliph, recovering, started from his trance and gazed wildly on the scene in full blaze around him. The oil gushed forth in a plenitude of streams, and the negresses who supplied it without intermission united their cries to those of the princess. At last the fire became so violent, and the flames reflected from the polished marble so dazzling, that the caliph, unable to withstand the heat and the blaze, effected his escape, and clambered up the imperial standard. In the meantime the inhabitants of Samara, scared at the light which shone over the city, arose in haste, ascended their roofs, beheld the tower on fire, and hurried half-naked to the square. Their love to their sovereign immediately awoke, and apprehending him in danger of perishing in his tower, their whole thoughts were occupied with the means of his safety. Morakanabad flew from his retirement, wiped away his tears, and cried out for water like the rest. Bababalouk, whose olfactory nerves were more familiarised to magical odours, readily conjecturing that Carathis was engaged in her favourite amusements, strenuously exhorted them not to be alarmed. Him, however, they treated as an old poltroon, and forbore not to style him a rascally traitor. The camels and dromedaries were advancing with water, but no one knew by which way to enter the tower. Whilst the populace was obstinate in forcing the doors, a violent east wind drove such a volume of flame against them as that first forced them off, but afterwards rekindled their zeal. At the same time, the stench of the horns and mummies increasing, most of the crowd fell backward in a state of suffocation. Those that kept their feet mutually wondered at the cause of the smell, and admonished each other to retire. Morakanabad, more sick than the rest, remained in a piteous condition. Holding his nose with one hand, he persisted in his efforts with the other to burst open the doors and obtain admission. A hundred and forty of the strongest and most resolute at length accomplished their purpose. Having gained the staircase by their violent exertions, they attained a great height in a quarter of an hour. Carathis, alarmed at the signs of her mutes, advanced to the staircase, went down a few steps, and heard several voices calling out from below. "'You shall in a moment have water!' Being rather alert, considering her age, she presently regained the top of the tower, and bade her son suspend the sacrifice for some minutes, adding, "'We shall soon be enabled to render it more grateful. Certain dolts of your subjects, imagining no doubt that we were on fire, have been rash enough to break through those doors which had hitherto remained inviolate for the sake of bringing up water. They are very kind, you must allow, so soon to forget the wrongs you have done them, but that is of little moment. Let us offer them to the cure. Let them come up. Our mutes, who neither want strength nor experience, will soon dispatch them, exhausted as they are with fatigue. 
Be it so, answered the caliph, provided we finish and I dine. In fact, these good people, out of breath from ascending eleven thousand stairs in such haste, and chagrined at having spilt by the way the water they had taken, were no sooner arrived at the top than the blaze of the flames and the very fumes of the mummies at once overpowered their senses. It was a pity, for they beheld not the agreeable smile with which the mutes and the negresses adjusted the cord to their necks. These amiable personages rejoiced, however, no less at the scene. Never before had the ceremony of strangling been performed with so much facility. They all fell without the least resistance or struggle, so that Vathek, in the space of a few moments, found himself surrounded by the dead bodies of his faithfulest subjects, all which were thrown on the top of the pile. Carathis, whose presence of mind never forsook her, perceiving that she had carcasses sufficient to complete her oblation, commanded the chains to be stretched across the staircase, and the iron doors barricaded, that no more might come up. No sooner were these orders obeyed, than the tower shook, the dead bodies vanished in the flames, which at once changed from a swarthy crimson to a bright rose colour. An ambient vapour emitted the most exquisite fragrance. The marble columns rang with harmonious sounds, and the liquefied horns diffused a delicious perfume. Carathis, in transports, anticipated the success of her enterprise, whilst her mutes and negresses, to whom these sweets had given the colic, retired to their cells, grumbling. Scarcely were they gone when, instead of the pile, horns, mummies, and ashes, the caliph both saw and felt, with a degree of pleasure which he could not express, a table covered with the most magnificent repast, flagons of wine and vases of exquisite sherbet floating on snow. He availed himself without scruple of such an entertainment, and had already laid hands on a lamb stuffed with pistachios, whilst Carathis was privately drawing from a filigree urn a parchment that seemed to be endless, and which had escaped the notice of her son. Totally occupied in gratifying an importunate appetite, he left her to peruse it without interruption, which, having finished, she said to him in an authoritative tone, Put an end to your gluttony, and hear the splendid promises with which you are favoured. She then read as follows, Vathek, my well-beloved, thou hast surpassed my hopes, my nostrils have been regaled by the savour of thy mummies, thy horns, and still more by the lives devoted on the pile. At the fall of the moon, cause the bands of thy musicians and thy timbrels to be heard. Depart from thy palace, surrounded by all the pageants of majesty, thy most faithful slaves, thy best beloved wives, thy most magnificent litters, thy richest laden camels, and set forward on thy way to Istakhar. There await I thy coming. That is the region of wonders. There shalt thou receive the diadem of Jan ben Jan, the talismans of Solomon, and the treasures of the pre-Adamite sultans. There shalt thou be solaced with all kinds of delight. But beware how thou enterest any dwelling on thy route, or thou shalt feel the effects of my anger. The caliph, who, notwithstanding his habitual luxury, had never before dined with so much satisfaction, gave full scope to the joy of these golden tidings, and betook himself to drinking anew. Carathis, whose antipathy to wine was by no means insuperable, failed not to supply a reason for every bumper, which they ironically quaffed to the health of Mahomet. 
This infernal liquor completed their impious temerity, and prompted them to utter a profusion of blasphemies. They gave a loose to their wit at the expense of the ass of Balaam, the dog of the seven sleepers, and the other animals admitted into the paradise of Mahomet. In this sprightly humour they descended the eleven thousand stairs, diverting themselves as they went at the anxious faces they saw on the square through the oilets of the tower, and at length arrived at the royal apartments by the subterranean passage. Bababalouk was parading to and fro, and issuing his mandates with great pomp to the eunuchs, who were snuffing the lights and painting the eyes of the Circassians. No sooner did he catch the sight of the caliph and his mother than he exclaimed, Ha, you have then, I perceive, escaped from the flames. I was not, however, altogether out of doubt. Of what moment is it to us what you thought or think? cried Carathis. Go, speed. Tell Morakanabad that we immediately want him, and take care how you stop by the way to make your insipid reflections. Morakanabad delayed not to obey the summons, and was received by Vathek and his mother with great solemnity. They told him, with an air of composure and commiseration, that the fire at the top of the tower was extinguished, but that it had cost the lives of the brave people who sought to assist them. Still more misfortune, cried Morakanabad with a sigh. Ah, commander of the faithful, our holy prophet is certainly irritated against us. It behoves you to appease him. We will appease him hereafter, replied the caliph with a smile that augured nothing of good. You will have leisure sufficient for your supplications during my absence, for this country is the bane of my health. I am disgusted with the mountains of, of the four fountains, and am resolved to go and drink of the stream of Rocknabad. I long to refresh myself in the delightful valleys which it waters. Do you, with the advice of my mother, govern my dominions, and take care to supply whatever her experiments may demand, for you will know that our tower abounds in materials for the advancement of science. The tower but ill-suited Morakanabad's taste. Immense treasures had been lavished upon it, and nothing had he ever carried thither but female negroes, mutes, and abominable drugs. Nor did he know well what to think of Carathis, who, like a chameleon, could assume all possible colours. Her cursed eloquence had often driven the poor Mussulman to his last shift. He considered, however, that if she possessed but few good qualities, her son had still fewer, and that the alternative on the whole would be in her favour. Consoled, therefore, with this reflection, he went in good spirits to soothe the populace, and make the proper arrangements for his master's journey. Vathek, to conciliate the spirits of the subterranean palace, resolved that his expedition should be uncommonly splendid. With this view he confiscated on all sides the property of his subjects, whilst his worthy mother stripped the seraglios she visited of the gems they contained. She collected all the semstresses and embroiderers of Samara and other cities to the distance of sixty leagues to prepare pavilions, palanquins, sofas, canopies, and litters for the train of the monarch. There was not left in Masolipatan a single piece of chintz, and so much muslin had been brought up to dress out by Babaluk and the other black eunuchs, that there remained not an L in the whole Iraq of Babylon. During these preparations, Carathis, who never lost sight of her great object, which was to obtain favour with the powers of darkness, made select parties of the fairest and most delicate ladies of the city, 
but in the midst of their gaiety she contrived to introduce serpents among them, and to break pots of scorpions under the table. They all bit to a wonder, and Carathis would have left them to bite, were it not that, to fill up the time, she now and then amused herself in curing their wounds with an excellent anodyne of her own invention, for this good princess abhorred being indolent. Vathek, who was not altogether so active as his mother, devoted his time to the sole gratification of his senses, in the palaces which were severally dedicated to them. He disgusted himself no more with the divan or the mosque. One half of Samara followed his example, whilst the other lamented the progress of corruption. End of part four.